when the caterpillar emerges from its shell, it uses its shell as fuel for its future becoming. So it uses what it used to be in order to feed what it's going to become in the future. Then it goes through incremental growth, which is essentially the caterpillar becomes a bigger version of what it used to be. It eats multiple times its own body weight through leaves and foliage, and it removes its outer skin. So it's like a snake, drops off the skin, grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. That's exactly what happens in organizations. That's exactly what happens to so many of us. We find something that's working and we make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And that worked for a very, very long time. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoyed the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Aidan McCullen. I got introduced to the work of Aidan when I was talking to another podcast guest. I was chatting to Ben Bensow in November about innovation. And one of his book recommendations was Undisruptible. So as I tend to do, I bought it either whilst I was interviewing Ben or soon after and listened to Indisruptible on Audible. And I thought it was fantastic. I thought... Uh, how Aiden had done a fantastic job using a metaphor of butterflies and and reinvention to capture the essence of transformation. You know, we chat today about why did he pick the title of this book and what it was nearly called. He is a former professional rugby player and in the book teases through sort of his own journey and how he then had to, I guess, disrupt his life completely and leave rugby behind and chart another path And now he's got a fantastic podcast as well called The Innovation Show. So I've listened to many episodes of The Innovation Show now. And we chat about the book, we chat about The Innovation Show, we chat about his history, we chat about what he does now. He does a lot of workshop work and public speaking around transformation and innovation. So great conversation with Aidan. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm Aidan McCullen. I am the host of The Innovation Show and author of the book, Undisruptible. I work as an executive coach and an innovation consultant. It's great to be with you. Good to have you. Good to have you. Love the book. Why did you pick that topic? Like, you know, you could have written on anything. Why, why that topic? Great call. So I find having worked in transformation and change, like so many people who are listening to us, it is very, very difficult on your patience, on your mental health at times, because you feel like you're fighting against a massive beast all the time. So it's David versus Goliath all the time. And I wanted to write a book 
that firstly connected to those people who feel like that and secondly distilled all the knowledge that i've been lucky to have been exposed to which is often very academic the literature on innovation and the data on innovation is often very very academic and inaccessible and i wanted to translate it into an accessible way story-based and metaphor-based that people would just go ah is that all that means so Firstly, they feel that they are not alone and that they're not the problem because they're often made feel they're the problem. And secondly, I wanted to make the information accessible where so often it's not. And also people just don't have the time, as you know, to read. So I want to make it simple, make the chapters short, make them story based and not overdo it. And that was the goal. Very good. As I was saying to you before we started recording, I got introduced to you by Ben So. <laughs> ben, thank you for introducing me to Aiden. And uh, you know, I read it I read it back to back. I also there's some autobiography woven in there. You know, <laughs> you take your journey, your your rugby, your rugby journey sort of woven into the uh the fabric of the book. Um and I like the I like the uh the metaphor of the butterfly. How did how did you land on that? So the the funny thing with the butterfly. So firstly, I'll, I'll put the context of the rugby in place because I, I don't really, I don't really, I'm not really involved in rugby anymore. I, I had an amazing career. I, I played for two of the best clubs in Europe, uh, Toulouse and Leinster, and played for Ireland, which was just great. But I've kind of I've moved on from it, and that's part of the part of the theories in the book is kind of just move on, you know, be be grateful for it, and you know, recognize it, but move on and the it's interesting i'm at the moment i'm you know the way people have like books that uh they they read or new year's resolutions and i'm gonna read 20 books this year and all that like i'm Uh this year and i'll 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 mention the names because i know one of the features you do is what book to read one of the books i'm reading is just about health and it's and and all i'm doing is that book for the year but i'm gonna do it i'm actually gonna do what it says in the book consistently over the entire year and see what the outcome is at the end of the year. And the book is essentially, so I'll, I'll give the name of this away early, right? So this book is called Built From Broken. Yeah. And, and it's a book for people who feel like they're in pieces. So their bodies just feels that it's sore and stiff all the time. Uh, many former athletes feel like that. It's for former athletes. Or it's, for, it's for people who just train through it. Who was, that was me. I used to train through it because you're kind of, used to playing to to ensure you kept your place on the team you'd play through injury all the time and I, and I think it's a really nice metaphor for why I wrote the book in that through that lens of a former athlete as well as because you if you use the word innovation innovation really means from new from nothing so it's new novation so it's something new and the word alienates a lot of people and it, and it pushes them away and it makes them feel that I don't have the skills to do that. And, and I use, as you know, the word reinvention instead. And reinvention is, no, you, you have capabilities and you have skills. And all you might do is need to unlearn some and relearn some new ones in order to build something new. And that's, that's the concept of build a new house from existing bricks, but you might need some new bricks or some new plans in order to build it differently. So, that, so they're, the, they're the context through which I... That's the theme of the book, permanent reinvention. It's an ongoing process. It's not an event. It's a it's a way of 
it's a mindset, it's a way of living. And then back to the idea of the butterfly, that, that provides a brilliant metaphor for this. And my original metaphor was the idea of the phoenix, this mythical creature that every 500 years willingly walks into the flames, burns itself up and from the ashes of what it used to be, gathers what's still useful in order to enjoy a new cycle of existence. And my son at the time, so my son at the time was around 10, and he goes, Dad, I have to talk to you about this phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And, you know, beginner's mind from the mouths of babes and all that. I was like, give the kid a chance. And he says, you work with intelligent people, don't you, Dad? And I was like, no, mostly. <laughs> and he's like, if you start telling them about a myth, they're not going to believe you. You got to find something better. And I was like, so I... I I let it seep in and marinate over a few days. And I went to, maybe he's right. So I found a much more humble and real metaphor in the butterfly. So people know the, the great transformation from the caterpillar into the butterfly. It's this magnificent change. But I wanted to really break it down and map it to the transformations that you see in organizations, one being incremental and one being transformational. Because even that tricks people, that, that's tricky, the language. So the metaphor does a great job of explaining what it is. So let me, let me explain through the life cycle. So the very first act when the caterpillar emerges from a shell is that it uses its shell as fuel for its future becoming. So it uses what it used to be in order to feed what it's going to become in the future. Then it goes through incremental growth which is essentially the caterpillar becomes a bigger version of what it used to be. It eats multiple times its own body weight through leaves and foliage, and it removes its outer skin. So it's like a snake, drops off the skin, grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, That's exactly what happens in organizations. That's exactly what happens to so many of us. We find something that's working, and we make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And that worked for a very, very long time. You had Tom Peters on your show recently. He worked in that world where it was steady and stayed. You could make 10-year, 15-year, 20-year plans because things didn't change very much. But today, things are changing at a rapid pace. And it's something we're not used to because even in, in business school, people are taught to prepare for a world that was built on that world. So it was built on steady. And it was built on make your plan and then execute your plan and things will all go great. Now, as you know, you can't do that because you have to, it's not no longer about having a five-year plan. It's have a five-year direction or a North Star that I'm heading towards. I'm very, very clear on what I want to do, but I'm very flexible on how to get there. So back to the butterfly. <laughs> so the butterfly at a certain point in the life cycle, after going through this incremental growth, knows there's need for a bigger transformation if it's to enjoy its full potential. So deep within the DNA of the caterpillar are pre-programmed cells, beautifully called imaginal disks, and imagination, imaginal from the word imagination. And these are like a blueprint that exists within the DNA of the caterpillar, and they're triggered by a certain point in the life cycle. But what happens to them when they say, oh, within the they appear within the immune system, the immune system, just like the corporate immune system attacks them, seeing them as foreign invaders tries to kill them off, then enough 
imagine all discs come online and the way they communicate is they resonate at a frequency that actually acts as a communication form and they come together and they overpower the dna of the caterpillar they overpower the immune system and they induce it to go and become the chrysalis and the difference between chrysalis and cocoon is interesting because chrysalis is a point in the life cycle when the caterpillar its outer skin hardens and that's the cocoon the hardened outer skin yeah and this is where transformation has changed is difficult because people often don't recognize how difficult it is within there within that hardened outer skin the cocoon an enzyme is re released to melt down the caterpillar into this gooey gloopy soup once again on that cycle that's going to fuel the future becoming just like the way the caterpillar ate its egg. Now, the caterpillar is becoming the fuel for the butterfly. So the cycle continues, then the butterfly emerges from the cocoon. Remember, it's hardened outer skin of the caterpillar. And there's this moment and I'll, I'll mention this now in case we don't get to it later on, that I, I thought this beautiful moment and I was telling you before, one of the, the great gifts I have is this brilliant artist who creates the slides for my workshops and keynotes. And when I asked her to do a slide for this, she created a slide and she created two. And one was where the, the butterfly emerges and it's hanging on to the cocoon from which it came. And the other is when it flies away. And she's like, kind of going, which one do you want? And I was like, actually, I need both. And the reason I need both is when the caterpillar, when the butterfly is holding on to that cocoon, I saw it as this moment of gratitude and moment of sadness or melancholy, where you look into all the difficulties and challenges that through which you came as a moment of gratitude to kind of go, you know what, they really sucked when that happened, but they made me what I am today. And then the, the second part is, in order to enjoy your full potential, you need to let go of that. And then you can only fly on to the future. And that's the full cycle. And that's why I went with it. And that's that goes back to why I said about don't really hang on to the rugby career or the sports career anymore. Let go of that. And I enjoy it and I'm grateful to it. But there's other things in order to enjoy the full potential of life. I suppose my metaphor is is a series of it's like an S curve and then you crash into a brick wall. <laughs> A butterfly seems uh, so much more poetic <laughs> than uh, an S-curve and hitting a wall at speed. It's that transformation you do. There's that, uh, people get stuck. People get stuck for companies. You see companies stuck for two, three, four, five years just trying to do what they've done. I mean, it's Mark, uh, the, um, you know, what got you here won't get you there. And people are hanging on, hanging on to that. Bruce Springsteen, glory days. You know, it's that, it's that you meet people and I, I meet people, you meet people and they, they tell me what they did at school. And I'm like, but you're a, but you're a grown up. You've done, uh, or there's a number of people I've had in the podcast who are in their seventies and eighties. And they've said, Dom, don't stop working. Cause the moment he said, they, these guys have said the moment my friends have stopped working, everything, every conversation is about the past. It's never about the future. And that's, uh, how come you ended up finishing playing rugby and then, doing the innovation show and how, what how did you end up there what's how did you end up being public speaker executive coach workshop guru 
circuitous path, man. A few few brick walls that I smashed into <laughs> on the way. So I, it's funny. I when I retired, I had this great idea of you know kind of madman madman advertising as executive owning my own place, and I had the, I kind of started to do the work towards that. And I at the end of my career, I was quite I was injured quite a lot. And I was playing over in London and London Irish, and I was I was pretty much injured for all the time I was there. And I wanted to, I used it as an excuse to to kind of build capability for the future and see what was out there, see where would be a good place to start. And just to put it in context, it was it was right on the cusp of the of the recession. It was two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, and I started to look at the. Uh, one of the the articles I started to look at was about Nokia. So it was uh, it was Forbes magazine. I remember picking up, and ironically, I picked it up in a local Borders, which is now bankrupt and gone. <laughs> it's been disrupted itself. There was, remember, there used to be the Starbucks in the Borders, and it was in Kingston. I remember picking up the the Forbes magazine, and on the cover it said, "Can anyone cast the cell phone, phone king?" So it was this story about how great Nokia were, and they owned half the mobile phone market. And I was like, kind of gone that. That seems like an interesting place to go. So that was November 2007. Then as I started to progress more and more towards the end of my career, I, I, I noticed I was following Nokia. And I was like, kind of going, the share price is on the floor. Like this was February. And after reaching this peak, all of a sudden it was in this valley. And I was like, oh, what the heck happened? And I became kind of interested in that. So I started to chart that. that so that became an interest in the background. But then... When I retired, you literally go from being on really good money to being an intern, or if even. I mean, I, I was I took six months to kind of find something, and I went around all these advertising firms, and in each of them, there was like a corner of these young kids, essentially like early twenties, and I was like, "Who are those guys?" And and they were like, "Going on, oh, that's digital," and I was like, "I don't know what's what's digital," and they're like, "We don't know yet," and I was like. <laughs> and, and you know again from reading all this stuff about innovation i was kind of going when people don't know yet there's an opportunity in there and, and particularly if if you're disciplined or you're you know you're you're focused and that's all that's really what my gift in rugby was i wasn't that talented of a player i just worked really hard and i just applied myself and i was like kind of going that's like this gift that i'll just point at this thing and and see how i go so that's how I got into transformation. So I joined a media company, went in as an intern, unpaid intern, within three months started getting paid, and then went on to run the place within a few years, um, developed a new digital arm for it, merged that with the traditional arm, and then left. And I went to the national broadcaster then as head of innovation. And that's like the Beep, the BBC over in the UK, RT is the, the broadcaster here. And then I found out about resistance to change. Then I found out what it was like <laughs> to be an imaginal disc. So I was like, this imaginal disc. And, and yes, I found others, but the immune system was bloody strong in there. So one of the, I, I used to sometimes get sent on these wild goose chases to try and just keep me busy. To So keep me, literally keep, keep you from try, trying to make change. And my boss asked me one day, she's like, um, what, what do you, will you come up with an idea for content that's interesting to the, the non-Irish audience? 
So to try and because we have all you know HQs for Google and LinkedIn, etc., Microsoft here. So we've lots of lots of overseas workers. So so anyway, I, I come up with this idea. I said, look, one of we we develop this content where we interview uh, founders, startup founders, entrepreneurs, business people, authors, etc. And they went as as you would guess, that'll never work. So. <laughs> I went down to the radio department and I said it to the guy that had a radio and I said, here, I'm just, I'm just making sure this has some value to it. And I haven't lost it. And, and I hand him this one pager and he goes, that's a great idea. What budget have you got? And I said, I, I don't have a budget. I, I was asked for an idea. I just wanted to get your opinion. And he goes, you know what? If they're not going to do it, we'll do it on radio. And I said, okay, great. And I, I went to walk out of his room and he goes, he goes, wait a second. Um, are you not going to be involved in it? I was like, going, no, 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 it's just an idea. I said, like, that's all I was asked to do. And he goes, well, are you not going to present it? And I was like, no, nah, man, I don't know how to present. And he's like, at the time I was doing rugby commentary. And he's like, going, well, why don't you do it? It's just like your rugby commentary, except you're talking about this stuff. And I was like, going, not really, but I'll give it a go. And he gave me a producer for six weeks. That set me up then to get started. And then when I left the the broadcaster, I closed the show and I just said, keep an eye on me on anybody subscribe to me on LinkedIn or whatever, and I'll have something coming soon. And I relaunched the show like you do. I, I started off episode one with Seth Godin, and that was really helpful because he gave me this kind of snowball effect of getting more and more authors. And, and as you can see, our audience can't see us, but I have a bookshelf behind me, a massive bookshelf, and there are people I've they're like I'm I'm like a a positive serial killer. I have they're my trophies <laughs> after each of the episodes. How many episodes you did now? I'm on today actually I launched uh four twenty. Four hundred and twenty, yeah. So the average podcast lasts seven episodes, I think. Oh, is it only seven? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. It's it's I mean, you know, you know yourself, like you have to have a why. And it, it goes to business as well or anything you're doing, like the why needs to be bigger than the try. I, I get asked all the time from people, oh, I'm thinking of starting a podcast. How do I get a sponsor? And I'm like, oh, that is the last question you need to ask because you're going to be doing this for years before you get a sponsor. And I, like for me, it's it's learning. There's a, a beautiful quote, uh, a lady called Edith Wharton, uh, an author, and she said, there's two ways to spread the light. Be the candle and be the mirror. And I, I actually see the show as the mirror. I call it mirror work, where you have people on the show, they're the light, and all the show is this way of, of spreading it through the mirror. And then my own writing or my own thoughts or my own weekly newsletter is candle work. <laughs> so that's the way I, I differentiate them. And do you, who is the, do you have a most impactful guest across the 400 odd episodes that are most impactful on you? it's not innovation which is interesting it's not it's not about that for me it's about and i'm sure this is your driving force as well you work with execs all the time is that you want them to have a better life you you you've found a way to make your life better and you want to share that and you want i i actually think one of the ways to make an impact and be of service in the world is actually to help someone else have a better life and then if they do they're going to be happier they're going to become an imaginal disc if i bring it back to that they're going to start to spread positivity 
and and you can you can actually do it bit by bit you know and then obviously the bigger audience you have and and when you're when you talk about this stuff openly then people kind of go oh it's okay to talk about that stuff because because there's a there's still a lot of macho you know business gordon gecko feel going around i mean i i certainly did it where i thought you know oh it's not okay to smile and all this kind of stuff and wear the suit and all that i think it's dissipating now but the the two the two i would say right one of them was a book that's um a guy called bruce lipton and bruce lipton wrote a book called the biology of belief and it's about a science that he he basically started called epigenetics he he was the father of that that science epigenetics and essentially it's like what you believe has a massive impact on how you are how you become how you show up in the world what what your belief systems are and i mean you you've done this work it's like nlp it's like anything like that it's reframing it but his work goes into he looked at stem cells and he's look you know he looked at how you know how you treat the stem cells even the environment they're in he talked about that there's a book called the hidden messages of water that you know that do you you ever hear this about the hidden messages of water okay so this this has been repeated all over the world this is not sounds like mumbo jumbo they take this scientist japanese scientist i can't pronounce his name he he took two samples or several samples of water some samples put them in this room that was full of light full of positivity flowers brought in uh, like monks to pray over the water uh, played music to the water came in in the morning like good morning water <laughs> right just treated the water because because water is energy like so treated it with positive energy and then the other water they did the opposite and they cursed the water and they told it was useless and all this kind of stuff and played heavy metal to it and and the the water that was that was treated positively purified and crystallized and then the other water went on gray and dark but then what they did was they they looked at what did the frozen particles of it look like when it was frozen the crystals were all these geometric patterns of the the crystallized water of the beautiful water and then the other was was all this kind of it was it was asynchronous and it was it was challenged and it was out of sync and they they've done the same with sand if you've ever seen that they they'll play like bach to sand and the sand will develop these patterns and they they what they show is that you know we're cells just like we we're treated that same way and will actually form that way so i found that actually just whether you believe it or not impactful as a way of actually seeing that well that means that how i speak to you and how i say to somebody who serves me a coffee in the morning thanks a million have a nice day actually has an impact on them and and that that was just this kind of threshold learning moment for me as i kind of gone ah okay so we we all have a different one of those in different ways so that was one biology of belief the other was was my probably my favorite episode and and the reason it was favorite is because the guy was so damn clever unbelievable and and he was like a stand-up comedian, a guy called Robert Sapolsky. And Robert Sapolsky, like even this will give you an example, his, the title of one of his books on stress is called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. <laughs> so he talks about animals. But the book I did with him was called Behave. 
and it's unbelievable book. It's like it, it's it starts off and it's like going on. I I have this I have this chance to kill the Al- Adolf Hitler. What do I do? And then and then what he does is he zooms out and he goes, "What happened a minute before? What happened an hour before? What happened two days before? What happened a week before? What happened?" in my childhood, what happened in the generation before my generation. And he looks back over how any moment of behavior is influenced by all these different stages getting to that moment of behavior. Because you know when somebody flips with you over something that is seemingly a small thing. I say this to my kids all the time, that you may think I'm angry with you over this tiny little thing, but it's because Yesterday, you didn't pack the dishwasher. And the day before, you didn't clean your room. <laughs> and the day before that, you, you weren't very nice to your brother. You know, so you, you kind of, you pile up and you kind of go, so it's not the moment. It's a buildup of loads of other stuff. And, and Sabalsa goes right back to, for example, people who lived in areas that had experienced some type of pestilence or disease in the past. People who live there today are less tolerant of outsiders. Because it's in their genes to go. Yes. Dangerous. They're dangerous. Those outsiders. Well, do you know what? One of the things I was thinking about having you on today, and I was thinking, lots of the work I do, and maybe the things you talk about, are culture based. And say, what what's the difference culturally playing for Toulouse and and Ulster? Great, great question. So, yeah, and again, I want to put this in context because. It was Leinster in the early days. Oh, Leinster. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Leinster, Leinster in the early days was, uh, it was a startup. I mean, they were all startups, really, if you think of them that way. And what happened at the time is a lot of the players played for themselves. And there, there was a culture, again, and I mentioned to you before, I was a hard worker. I wasn't that talented. We had loads of really talented players that weren't hard workers. So with that, you uh-huh. can get so far, but you kind of start to get knocked out in the knockout stages. And what happened was we got in, in probably my best season in Leinster, we got to the semi-final against a French team. And the final then was against Toulouse. Toulouse was the other semi-finalist who won. So they were watching us and they had watched all our back games. And I had had uh, my best ever season. That was the season I played for Ireland. So they'd seen me and they started to watch me then and then i kind of got these uh people are like kind of i got a call from a guy from toulouse he was asking about you what kind of person you were etc this happened three years before they actually recruited me so they started to look and see if i was a good fit for the club and that was massive so they took that extremely seriously and and to uh, probably a better way to put it in context was when i was going to play for toulouse i was flown to another club claremont Claremont over and up in the Alps as well. And they, they, the experience was so different. So when I went to Claremont, my agent picked me up at Leon Airport, drove me to Claremont. I waited, that was the night before. I waited then ages. The coach was waiting, made me wait for like a couple of hours outside. Um, no communication. I was like, kind of going, what's going on? Is it? And my agent's like, kind of going, look at me, kind of going, I don't know. And the do you know the difference between the the word inquiry with an i and enquiry is is quite impactful inquiry is like the spanish inquisition it's like going, where were you last night and enquiry is where you ask questions to draw out answers so it was like an inquisition i was yeah i was like going, 
why are you leaving Lancer? What, you know, started questioning me. It was like he had a shining light in my eyes. And I was like, the experience was quite uh, intrusive and, and negative. And I was like, going, geez, I don't, I don't really know if I want to play here. So then that was the Monday. And then the Friday I was flown down to Toulouse and went to Toulouse, picked up at the airport by um, a, a guy to greet me, essentially. Very nice gentleman. He brings me out to another guy who's in a car and the Toulouse players, we, we used to get these beautiful, we got Peugeot cars and we got these beautiful sports cars. And he goes, this will be your car when you join. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. You know, used to my beat up old Nissan back home. And I was like, just straight away struck by the difference. And then he goes, what we'll do is I want to bring it to the club to meet some of the players. We'll have lunch and there's a michelin star restaurant wouldn't you know on the pitch or like in the stadium we'll have lunch at the stadium uh, and then tomorrow tonight we'll go to a match you can see how we play etc and then tomorrow we'll talk business unbelievable difference right and then i always went into the into the playing into the changing room they had just won the european cup the week before and they were going to play another game loads of guys really humble how you doing heard about you um, looking forward to playing with you hopefully next season, all this kind of stuff, just entirely different experience. And then when, and then playing was the same. It was just you, you, one of the things they did, they were very early in this is that you had a locker on this. So this wasn't the way back then. This is early noughties. You, you had your gear all mined for you. It was Nile Nike gear. You had your own locker. It was washed on campus. Your boots were kept there. Um, there was a restaurant, so you had lunch together and you just spent a lot of time together, you know, and it was all provided that way for you. And that, that was just a flavor of the difference in cultures, it, just even within two clubs, two successful clubs in yeah. France, but also then Leinster now are like that today where they hadn't been, you know, 20 years ago. But I even just there that uh, the difference in recruitment style between the team that wins the European Cup and the teams that wish they'd won the Europe. It's just that the, the you know, hiring three years ahead. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it's fun. It's Fabulous. funny, isn't it? That you, you think about I, I, because I, it's one thing that does strike me is like, it's very, very hard to catch up to them. I mean, it, when that's always been in the DNA, you can't suddenly buy a load of players and create a culture it just takes time and it's a huge lesson for businesses as well you got to start today like if it's not there you got to start today and it's going to take time you, you can't just flip which and yeah. create a culture so what um question i ask everybody what is it you know now you wish you'd known earlier i i save this to to because i i noticed you asked those kind of questions with your guests is i when, when I was a player, I did everything in the gym. I did, I, I worked hard. I made sacrifices. I didn't drink. I ate all the right foods. And, you know, I used to import quinoa, you know, because you couldn't get quinoa. We couldn't even <laughs> really get avocados and stuff. It was really difficult. And it, they cost a fortune, like a little bag of quinoa. And that's probably a, a pound now in Tesco was like a 10 euro back then. It was crazy. And so I went to extraordinary lengths. I, I actually used to do this thing, and, and I was originally a chapter in an, another book I'd written. I, I was called it Rinse the Mince. So I used to cook mince meat, let it cool, 
So, it would, you know, the, the fat would flow to the top, put water in it, fat, the, and yeah. then scrape it off all the fat and then cook it. You know, so th- there was, I went to every length. But what happened to me was I, I did very well. And then I started to get inside my own head. I started to doubt myself. I started to question myself. And, and that, that difficulty, that Esker smashing into the wall that you mentioned earlier on, is why I do what I do today because I, I I just was like fascinated by I went to the gym what if I went to the mind gym what if I knew more about myself what if I knew more about the you know resonance of of the energy you give out comes back to you like a boomerang your thoughts are like boomerangs they come back to you all the time I, w- I wish I knew all that stuff and I see now that that's why I do what I do. And and also I try to instill that in my children. And that that's the gift of the difficulty, I think. That if I just went through that difficulty and didn't do anything with it, do anything with the lessons that you learn from it, that's an absolute shame. But having gone through it and learned from it and then being able to hopefully impact people for the positive, that's the gift. So the positivity, the real, the realization that th- thinking is is really everything. Thinking and feeling, how you feel about things creates energy. How you think about things creates energy, and that plus the work, plus the discipline, that's where the magic happens. What two or three or four or five, maybe just even just the titles. What what do you think? What do you think people should? pick up and read and it, and when you give and when you give me the book tell me if you've had them on the show because then if people could uh people could also dive into your back catalogue yeah well actually there's um today um i i launched a series on clayton christensen i mentioned that to you clayton christensen was the father of the term disruptive technologies and disruption theory and he, he, out of all the books he wrote, he wrote a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And he applied all the theories that he applied to business to life, including like one, for example, resource allocation. Resource allocation is essentially, you can really tell how a business is by the way it behaves, by how it applies resources, like how many people it gives to innovation, how many people it gives to new ideas. How does it, you know, how does, the, how much time does the CEO give you as an exact coach, it's resource allocation. How do they allocate the resources? And he's like, oh, well, that also applies to you with your family or the things that are important to you. How do you apply your own personal resources? So th- so that's just a flavor of that. So that series starts today and, and I've gone systematically through all his books in chronological order, all the papers, all the co-authors, and that's going to last about two or three months, that, that entire series. So Clayton Christensen, definitely. Then um, there's there's that book I mentioned, which there's one that I haven't got. And unfortunately, he passed away, a guy called Bob Proctor. You mentioned multiple sources of income, for example. Bob Proctor was the guy who who was really a a preacher about these things. He was like kind of, you know, if you can hold it in your head, you can hold it in your hand. So the idea of of visualization, he, he actually was the guy who... If, if you ever saw the movie The Secret, or he was in it, and he said, the one thing people miss about The Secret, what I spoke about it, but they cut it out. And it was like, the, so there's the law of attraction, which is The Secret. 
But then there's a thing called the law of vibration. And vibration goes to what I was talking about is that the energy that you give out, you get back because it's like that whole concept of there's two pianos I, side by side. I hit a key on this piano. That other piano will start playing. The, the key will start resonating at the same frequency. So that's why you get on with certain people or you might go, oh, I really like the vibe of that person or that coffee shop. I love the vibe in there. We use the language of vibration all the time. So Bob Proctor released a book just before he passed away as well. Um, and it's called Change Your Paradigm. So I definitely, definitely recommend it. And it's really simple, really easy read. Um, Biology of Belief. Bruce Lipton, I had him on the show. That was a magnificent episode. That that's a that that's a paradigm changing episode. That that's a paradigm changing book. And paradigm is this Greek word that just means pattern. So it just changes your pattern of thinking. It changes how you think about things. So th they were magnificent. I, I mentioned Robert Sapolsky behave. He was on the show. Um, and then I think this goes to something that you do, and I would definitely recommend this even for your own work. And if you could get him, great. He's very, very difficult to get. There's a gent called Hubert Jolie. So Hubert, Hubert, yeah. And uh, he wrote he wrote a book on the heart of business, and it's about purpose-driven businesses. And he turned around Best Buy when they were in the absolute doghouse by purpose. And he talks about how he does it. He actually... So, you know, you read these books and you're kind of going, yeah, but that's not really telling me anything. <laughs> he tells you how. And that was just, that was a, a gift. So I'm probably doing a disservice to many, many people, but uh, they they were very, very special episodes. I think I think the heart of business is great because it's, um, it's a people-based story. Because, you know, they made some innovative changes to the way they did the store layout and they got people, Microsoft and so on, to pay for their in-store stuff. But there was a consistency, there was a purpose, delivering the purpose into Best Buy and then getting people to live it with a consistency, you know, and because he, he did some competitive shopping before he took over. And he just sort of said, I went into one store and it was awful. It was the people. It wasn't anything else. that was. And then I went into another store and it was amazing. If I, And you know it yourself, you know, you go into a restaurant or a hotel and, you know, it's the quality of the people that make the experience, not necessarily the carpet or, or even the food. Um, so, yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a great book. There's a, there's a great saying on that about, uh, you know, when you, a restaurant you like and you like the vibe there like etc the the people the taste of the roast is determined by the handshake of the host i love that ah that captures that whole three or four sentences in one it's beautiful in one saying that's that's lovely that is lovely yeah brilliant aiden it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you this morning absolute pleasure man and and i wish you all the best and hopefully we'll get to work together sometime in the future that'd be that'd be magic Brilliant. Thanks for coming on. Nice one, man. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.